0: Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dr. Marin Wood. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, many of you are back in the classroom this year trying to navigate the incredibly difficult and fraught experience of a return to in-person instruction during a global pandemic. And I've been hearing from, from many of you this past couple of weeks about how unbelievably stressful and bonkers this return to in-person is for you. There's unclear instruction from senior leadership, students are testing positive with COVID, students are refusing to wear masks, or you're having to teach in person for a hot minute only to end up returning to remote within a couple of days. It is mentally, psychologically, and emotionally draining and impossible to plan for. So today I want to take a break from our usually scheduled content on how to find careers and instead talk strategies for surviving this academic year. And what I, I really want to talk about today is how to bring empathy to the situation for ourselves and others. And I mean deep, deep, deep empathy. Like we're gonna have to just dig so deep within ourselves to have empathy for all the different players and people that we're encountering and the different perspectives that we're running into, and how they're different from ours. And how so many of us are just we're we're afraid. Right? There's so much at stake here uh, in terms of our personal health, our finances, our emotional and psychological well-being. And it means that we're, you know, really focused on protecting ourselves and and that's important. We need to do that. But in order to really survive this year, I think that we need to bring a level of empathy and curiosity to this problem that we're not always really comfortable doing. And it's really hard to do that right now because so much is is at stake. And, And I struggle with this too. You know, like it's hard to look around and have empathy for people who are behaving in ways that seem irrational or dangerous to others. And I, I want to clarify that when I say, you know, having empathy, this doesn't mean that you accept another person's position, especially if w- what you see is dangerous behavior, but it does require us to consider the fear, anxiety, and stress behind the, that person's actions so that we can approach them with compassion and empathy. And try and find pathways forward in a a more collective way, you know, focusing in and around um, social responsibility. And social responsibility requires that we care for, for everybody, not just the people that are agreeing with us. Because it's only by approaching others with deep curiosity and compassion that we can find solutions and take action. And to begin to become more empowered, I think, in these situations and in this incredibly difficult time. So much of the fear and anger and resentment, I think, is coming from the unknown, but also disempowerment, right? Like we're just, we don't feel like we're in charge. We're not making decisions. It seems like there's just moving goalposts and it's hard to to make plans. Things are feeling really out of control because they are. The problem is that rage and anger and fear and resentment are not productive emotions. They're justified and necessary, right? It's a natural response to danger. If you touch a a hot stove, you feel pain and and you stop touching it. So this rage and anger and resentment and fear, you know, these are our responses to difficult and trying situations. And so it's not to demean or to dismiss those. It's to recognize them and honor them, but then to think about how do we actually move forward and how do we survive this year? So right now... You're in a work environment where everyone is exhausted and fearful. Many instructors and some students are terrified of being in person because of a lack of testing, vaccine mandates, and in some states, even the ability of universities to even require masks. For those people, you know, no education is worth risking death. They're fearful of bringing the virus home and exposing unvaccinated children or vulnerable members of their family to a very serious disease. They're fearful about, you know, the long-term effects of long COVID and, and all the things we don't know about the way in which COVID-19 affects people both in the short and long term. And that's legitimate, right? Like there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of risk and people are dying. Um, And so that fear and that anxiety about moving to in-person is hundred percent legitimate. But on Twitter, what I'm seeing, and in many other conversations, what I'm seeing is that people with this perspective are then accusing others who don't share their perspective of following the money, right? Like people who are trying to return to in-person are evil. University administrators are just doing this because of neoliberal principles and they're risking lives. And there's just a lack of nuance and again, empathy for other players in the story. And we have to have empathy for other players in this story for us to really come together, to be heard and to move forward as, 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 a, as a group, as a society, but as, as academics. And maybe there's truth to this critique, right? There, there is a lot of, at stake for universities uh, financially if there isn't a return to class. You know, un- some universities shut down. People got fired. People lost their jobs. Departments closed. Like last year sucked for a lot of institutions because of the lack of money. And you know, there's a longer critique to be made about uh, underfunding of public education um, through tax dollars and the assault on education. And you know, that stuff has its roots in the 1970s. We're not going to solve that right now in the middle of a global pandemic. And so, yeah, there is some short sighted uh, decisions that are being made because there's a necessity to that, which is like, you know, people got to keep their lights on at an organization. And how are they doing that with the lack of support from the government and public? It's, it's incredibly difficult. So there are other instructors and I have many friends who actually feel this way, who have utterly hated online teaching And are in fact, really seriously considering quitting their jobs unless they can return to some sort of in-person instruction. For them, being back in the classroom is part of their job and an integral part of university life. Online is exhausting and subpar for many of these people. Many of, the, many of my friends are, are extroverts and require interactions with others to actually feel energized, and the loneliness and isolation of online life is causing stress and anxiety for them that is just unsustainable. And so we have to have compassion and empathy for these people too, just like we have compassion and empathy for people who are, you know, looking at the death rates of COVID and the spread of Delta and fearing for their personal safety. We have other people who are fearing for their mental and emotional health in facing again, like long lockdown periods and being isolated and alone, and that's causing real damage. Some of us are okay living quieter lives. You know, I'm lucky. I, I have... I've always worked remote from a home office and I don't have kids. So it's really easy for me to work from home because I always have, but that's just not true for so many people. And, um, and so again, we have to have that empathy and compassion and talk to people about their perspectives, right? And what, what is the fear behind, or the anxiety or the concern or the distress behind that person's situation or perspective on COVID? Why are they asking for something that's different from you? Why are they asking to teach in person? If you want to teach remote, why do they want to teach remote when you want to teach in person? What's going on here? You know, what is the fear? What is the anxiety? Like, Like, let's dig into this because we have to have compassion for people who are fighting tooth and nail to do something that is the opposite of what we want. And then there are, are of course, others like untenured instructors or staff and administrators who face the very real prospect of losing their jobs unless there is a return to the classroom, right? If universities have to do the refunds that they did last year, if they lose all of the money from the dorms and from eating and on campus events, like there's going to be real consequences for people. And there's a lot of fear amongst staff who are not tenured that their jobs are on the line. They're worried about their health. They're worried about the health of their family, but they're also worried about paying their bills. What's going to happen if they lose their jobs? And that's legitimate, right? We have to hear those concerns and fears, even if they're different from ours. And that's, and that, and that's terrifying, right? And then there are the quote unquote evil administrators, the senior leadership. And like between you and me, and I know this is a podcast, these are the people who deserve so much empathy and compassion. Like think of the impossibleness of their jobs. There isn't enough money in the world that would entice me to want to be in charge of anything in higher ed right now. The senior leadership are caught between all of these competing fractions on their campus. They know that budget cuts mean lost jobs. They know that a return to normal is probably not possible. Many of them are trying to follow the science, but that's changing just at a rapid pace. They have the responsibility of making sure an institution survives COVID and that it doesn't end up insolvent. They are responsible for making sure students are safe. they are They need to make sure that faculty aren't burning out. They need to make sure the institution isn't being sued for X,YZ, mask mandates, vaccine mask mandates, or whatever. And there are so many potential lawsuits. No institution has the money to fight students, faculty, or parents in court right now. And so they worry. and they live in fear too. How do they make the right decision? Who do they prioritize? How do they give everyone what they want? How do they navigate the anger, resentment, and fear of students, staff and faculty? And of course, there are our students. So many young people trying to ride out a pandemic that interrupted their adolescence. You have to remember that sophomores and seniors are the only people who had a normal high school experience. And even now a normal college experience, right? If we're thinking about our undergraduate uh, students, half of our students, there's nothing normal about the last two years of their lives. And they're trying to live as, you know, young adults. So, so, so many of our students are desperate for a return to normal because of where they're at in life. And maybe that means that they're not taking precautions or they're ignoring precautions because they're just hungry to be young, and we know that people in the early twenties are hardwired for, for a need to socialize and their brains are much more risk tolerant. And, and yeah, they're probably not making the smartest decisions and they're putting people at risk. But again, we have to understand why they're making that decision. And it's because they're tired and they're lonely and they need that social connection. And like, you have to have empathy for that. This is really, really hard. And if you think about all of these positions, and there's so many more scenarios to consider, Then what you can do is approach this COVID year with compassion for others instead of anger and rage at people who are not sharing your views. And we can begin to think about what we can do to help bring people together instead of what we can't do. Because really, that's what we have to do right now. We need to foster a sense of community and care for each other and encourage and teach social responsibility. One exercise I'd like you to try either in your classroom or office or lab or department is to ask the people that you work with or who you're teaching to write down what they're most fearful of this year regarding COVID. What is keeping them up at night? And then on the flip side, ask them to write what they need help with and, you know, collect these and and have it be anonymous and then share these with the other participants, your, your students or your colleagues and read them out loud and then ask your classroom or colleagues How can we help this person this year with this challenge? So for example, let's say one student says that last year they were so lonely and they're afraid of having to go back online because they just can't do that anymore. What might we do as a class to help students, our fellow colleagues who are experiencing loneliness and isolation if we have to return to in-person instruction, which is a real possibility? Let's say your colleague is fearful about losing their job. Well, what will we collectively do to help that person if it happens? What resources can we bring together as an office or a department? Is it about digging into our own networks and talking about this and thinking, like, what else might we do? Is it about collectively just writing resumes? Like, I don't know. We hopefully won't lose our jobs. But yeah, if we do, like, we should probably have some resumes together. Like, let's figure this out and support each other just as backup plans. What can we do to help our colleagues feel less afraid, less fearful, less anxious, less alone in what is going to be a really difficult year? Because at the end of the day, we are fighting a war against a virus and there is just no good way to fight a war. Everyone is sacrificing something. Everyone is stressed and afraid. Everyone is tired and exhausted. Everyone wants to get to the other side so we don't have to do battle anymore. And the stakes are enormously high. People are dying. They are getting sick. They are sustaining lifelong injuries. People's mental health is suffering and people are lonely and depression rates are through the roof. There is a lot at stake. So compassion doesn't mean accepting that other people are correct or treating every point of view as valid. You know, people who are testing positive for COVID and refusing to isolate are engaging in absolutely reckless behavior. The point isn't to accept their position. The point is to really, to understand what's behind that. We have to understand that we're incredibly educated people, for example, and we're comfortable with the nuances of science and how knowledge is created. Others are not right. There's been a lot of confusing information that's come out, even from reputable sources, and we know that, like, hey, in March we didn't know anything about COVID, and we're learning a lot, and we still don't know much, and like, there's just going to be a lot of movement, and and if you are an academic, you understand how knowledge is created, so you can be much more comfortable with with changing recommendations and the nuances behind how science uh, rolls out and and the creation of the vaccines and all of the stuff that's actually incredibly incredibly complicated and nuanced. Lots of people don't know what science is like, and that it's always evolving. And that what we're doing right now is watching public health experts and scientists build a plane while they're flying. And there isn't an instruction manual for viruses and global pandemics. That's just that level of uncertainty is uncomfortable for so many people. And it probably means that they're going to engage in really irrational behavior because they don't understand. And so they're just going to default to old patterns and old behavior. Lots of other people are just not adept at evaluating sources, right? So they're on the internet and they're susceptible to conspiracy theories because they don't have our level of education to really be able to to assess where the information is coming from and people engage in confirmation bias everybody does this we seek out information that validates our viewpoints instead of challenging instead of challenging what we already know or assume to be true and so you know in the in the day of social media it's just so easy for people to just find information that validates their viewpoints and and ele- encourages them to behave in ways that you and i probably see as reckless but at the end of the day it's because you know, COVID is unknown. It's scary and people want a life that's normal. They want to return to a pre pandemic time. And maybe we know that that's not possible, but they don't. And they're still clinging to that hope or the belief or denial because it's easier than, you know, accepting the nuances and the complications that come with having the knowledge and the framework that, that we as academics have and share. And of course, you know, in this exercise of, of trying to have compassion, thinking through all the characters in the story, really trying to understand where they're coming from, um, understanding the anxiety and fear that's motivating these kinds of behavior, you're going to hit your limits about how far you can extend compassion to others like that's just admitted. You know, I certainly haven't found compassion for politicians who are playing politics with people's lives and politicizing a virus and spreading information. If you're a a governor or a member of Congress in order to remain in power while you're killing your constituents is is pretty reprehensible and the opposite of leadership. And I struggle with finding any kind of compassion for people who are engaged in that kind of behavior. It's also incredibly important to have compassion for yourself. We all do better with certainty, right? Humans like routines, and there is no certainty right now. And the goalpost just keeps moving, right? We were supposed to get out of this mess with vaccines, and now there's Delta, and who knows what else, and, and that uncertainty is just completely destabilizing for most people. So what I want you to do is, as you're thinking about all the players, all the personas that you're encountering on campus, think about yourself, and reflect on what you need and what you're missing in your life because of COVID and uncertainty. Are you fearful about not getting a job because the academic job market is going to be a total shit show this year again? That's legitimate, right? You might have just a lot of fear and anxiety about that. And maybe you need help and compassion from your advisor or from your friends and family about that uncertainty. Like, don't ask me about it. I'm terrified. Or I'm terrified. Help me think of other ways that I can be successful. Or how do I strategize for next year? Are you worried that you won't be able to complete your research and graduate on time? You know, that's a real fear. And there's a lot of people that are in that situation. So how can you then, instead of focusing on fear, take action? How, how do you ask for help from your advisor or from your department? What can you do um, in order to actually complete your, complete your dissertation and graduate, right? What, what, who, what do you need to be successful and who can you ask for that help? I want you to really spend time thinking about your fears and, and anxiety and stress and anger so that you can have compassion for yourself, but so that you can also ask others to help you. Because this is really freaking hard, right? In history, we call these kinds of events watershed moments. It's an event that dramatically transforms a society or culture. There's a before, and we know what that looked like. And now we're in this watershed moment, and we don't know for how long. And we don't know when we're getting out of it. And as a historian, like, you don't want to live through watershed moments, but here we are in the middle of one. And this is stressful, which is why you're feeling stressed. So when you feel stress, just recognize it. I'm feeling stressed because I'm anxious and afraid, and that is a legitimate response to this situation, and I need to have compassion for myself, and just name what I'm feeling as stress. This is uncertain, which is why you're feeling anxiety. So when you're feeling anxiety, just say, I am feeling anxious because this is uncertain, and this is a legitimate feeling, and I need to honor that, right? This past year, I was visiting with my grandfather, who who actually just turned 99, And he's a World War II vet. He told me a story about one of the times he was in the Air Force. And so he and some, several of his friends from the small town where I grew up, Tabor, Alberta, enlisted in the Air Force. And during their training, they had to move between two bases in Southern Alberta and the train was going to pass through Tabor. And they wanted to get off and see friends and family. So grandpa wired ahead. He sent a telegraph to the base to ask for permission and they didn't get a response in time. So they just decided to jump off the train anyway. And throngs of people came out to see them and wish them well. And during the merriment, the train departed and left my grandpa and his friends behind. And they were in big trouble, right? Like they're basically AWOL. And they had to report to the air force training base that day. My great, great, my great grandfather, Harold Wood, he didn't have enough rations to fill up his car to take my grandpa and his friends to the air force base. And so other neighbors pitched in their rations so they could fill up Harold's car so he could get the, my grandfather and his friends where they needed to be before they were in any more trouble than they were already going to be in. What I thought about when he told me this story was, you know, we are so unaccustomed to being asked to do hard things as a society. This was a story about young men going off to war and their sacrifices and the sacrifices of their friends and families and, and all that was lost during that war. It was also a story about financial or material sacrifice, right? All the rationing that happened during the wars. Can you imagine imposing rationing today? But it was also a story of community, of people coming together to help out these young men who had screwed up and needed help. Handing over their ration cards for gas likely meant hardship for these people. That for that week or month, they weren't going to be able to fill up their own vehicles. And, you know, this was farm country. And what it made me realize was just how much we need to really come together during these periods of difficulty and of sacrifice. That what is so often missing is a commitment to community and the collective. And we have that chance right now in our classrooms, in our departments, and in our institutions to teach and practice social responsibility by demonstrating compassion and understanding to all the different players and competing points of view that we're encountering during this pandemic. Because there's just no good way through this COVID mess. There just isn't. And we have to accept that, right? That's part of having compassion for ourselves and for others. Because we need to just settle into another year of uncertainty, stress, and the unknown. And then we need to figure out how to help ourselves and how to to help our community so that we can get through this together, collectively. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Job Search the Smart Way, a podcast for graduate students and PhDs. For more resources to help you launch your next great career, be sure to visit beyondprof.com. sign up for our free events and remember smart people work everywhere